HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Mike Calameco from Food Talk. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. And welcome to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Nick Sharma, uh, the cover boy for Jerry 2. Jerry 2. Um, it, was, it was wonderful. I was introduced to your work through a friend of mine, Lucas Volker, and um, it's a wormhole. You know, you open up your website, aside from the beautiful photography, the kind of thoughtful and um, in-depth idea behind the recipes are, are just heartwarming, but also just so damn intriguing. Um, you grew up in India, right? Born and raised right. in Bombay, but your parents are particularly different, even within that nation. True, yeah. That's um, you could say it's growing up in a very uh, polemic, but not polemic world when it comes to food, because my dad's vegetarian. Well, he grew up vegetarian, and I, after he met, met my mother, who pretty much eats everything. It was kind of an interplay of everything in the house. So you got to eat what you what was cooked. Yeah. And you had no choice. Yeah. Kind of who's from North India and who's from Goa? So my dad's from the north. He grew up in a state called Uttar Pradesh. Um, and my mom's from a coastal state called Goa, uh, which was a former Portuguese colony. So there's strong influences of uh, European food. Uh, and culture, and even in the language that they speak over there. Yeah, well, let's dispel some of these misconceptions about what Indian cuisine is first, because, right. <laughs> you know, obviously there's that Portuguese influence coming right. from the South, but you were telling me within, um, you know, different regions, the grains aren't even the same. Uh, no, for example, if you go up to the northern states of Punjab, wheat's grown quite a bit there, and you'll see a lot of breads that are staples every day made from wheat, a lot of flatbreads, like naan, which was something that was brought to the country from uh, the Mughals. Um, and then you have um, roti and parathas, which are more North Indian, uh, again, made from wheat. 
But then as you move across the states, you go to the south and you'll see dosas and idlis, which are made of rice. Um, Goa also uses quite a bit of rice. But they have actually a really different kind of rice, which is not even basmati. It's called, I used to call it fat rice growing up because it's <laughs> like a chubby little fat grain. Yeah. It's really heavy and it's grown only in Goa. Um, it's called Goa rice in Goa, but I used to call it fat rice. And it's, yeah. <laughs> you eat that with a lot of the Goan curries. So yeah, so food, I think there are a lot of misconceptions about Indian food. And one of the things that I like to do on my blog is just kind of not talk too much about curries and naan, even though I have recipes and then I even have one jari. But I think there's a lot more that's there that the country has to offer when it comes to food. Yeah, I mean, and even when you do talk about curries and naan on your blog, a browntable.com, um, it, it's with a spin. You know, it, it's kind of your East Bay or San Francisco living right. inflected by these Indian accents. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, I'm air quoting, I'm saying it's non-traditional, but it really is steeped in that history. It is, yeah. Um, one of the goals, even like when I started the blog, a big thing for me was not to create something that was already out there. It didn't make any sense to me. So I thought about talking about the food and in a way that I'm an immigrant. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about through foods, showing, uh, showcasing how spices and the flavors that I grew up eating with and how I combine that with the techniques and the foods that I've come across in the West. And, you know, in a way, it's kind of sitting at an immigrant's table. Yeah, and that's my perspective on what I share on f- with on my blog. Yeah, I mean, it's also assimilating into a society through flavor, right? And so, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and and I find it fascinating because you know we're we're going to start talking about your your scientific background, uh-huh. uh, being a molecular biologist and working in pharmaceuticals. Yeah, um, you know, there's an analytical approach to that, right? Um, whereas there's an expressive or, or you know, emotive approach to feeding somebody mm-hmm. how, how did you kind of parse those two things in your mind um hmm. good question i haven't really thought about <laughs> that too much and i'm guessing because of my training in science it comes across very naturally i don't pay attention to it uh, i think where it does play a role is when i am creating something that i've never done before what flavors to pick out um the technique uh i think my physics and biochemistry play a huge influence in when I create something because if textures and flavors are off, it's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and especially since I'm doing something where I'm trying to bring the West and the East together, it's a little harder. So I have to pay attention to subtle changes and I try to do that. But at the end of the day, I just want people to be happy when they eat my food. Um, and I guess there's an analytical process to it. <laughs> But it's fun. At the end of the day, I just have fun with it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It is a process. So working in a lab, you know, and starting with that hypothesis and then trying to test it out. um, I mean, that's how you arrive Mm -hmm. at at some specific place. Correct. Yeah. I think um, recipe testing is probably where the fun part happens for me. I was talking to um, Lucas the other day about a non-recipe where... I noticed, I use a lot of yogurt in my recipes when I make naan, and I was talking to him about how I noticed different brands of yogurt make a big difference in the quality of the naan. And I went in through this long process of discussion with him, and then I realized the scientist was taking over, and I needed to step back a little (laughs) bit. 
Yeah. But I mean, you don't use science to kind of forge ahead in molecular astronomy. I mean, you use it to understand very simple things. Right. I use it to understand the principles of cooking. Um, For example, uh, I really love Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I love that cookbook. And she uses cream cheese to prevent ice crystal formation. And it still gives that silky, creamy texture without really using the egg custard base. And if you look at my blog, all the ice creams that I've created over the years always use her base recipe, which I've modified and manipulated to my advantage. Well, the, the carrot ice cream that Correct. you make. Correct, yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do as a scientist, too, you, or a musician, or, or a cook. Right. I mean, you, you take these posited theories that have not been disproved and expand mm-hmm. on them. Right. And you find your creative style within that. Right. Like, even the carrots. Carrots have a high amount of acidity. So when I first made it, everything just curdled. So it was a toss. Yeah. But then I figured out that the acid isn't that strong. So if I could infuse it into the base, the milk base of the ice cream at the end stage when it's cool, immediately churn it in. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you also had me won over by Halva. Being Uh, an Ashkenazi Jew, I mean, that's been a big part of my life throughout and I'm only refinding how much I love sesame and tahini. Mm. So our halvas are different. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I know in uh, Indian cooking, halva is, it's usually a, a mash of something that's sweetened with ghee, because ghee is a large component of Indian cooking. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's define ghee as, as the best butter you've ever tasted. Yeah, it's the best brown <laughs> butter. At, yeah. Unsalted. It's so good. Um, yeah, so... Indian halvas are usually cooked with some kind of fruit or some kind of nuts, and then it's it's more of a paste form. Um, carrot halva is a huge thing. I grew up eating that as a kid, and, um, you know, I love ice cream so much. Uh, people bring this up. Oh, my gosh, you have so many ice creams. Are you going to write an ice cream cookbook? I said no. Uh, but that is one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to make the halva, but I wanted to make it into an ice cream and do something new with it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back to, you know, your your findings of your mother's you know, recipe clippings. Mm-hmm. Um, and did that feel like a manual? Did that feel like a, a scrapbook? I mean, how, you know, starting from that point, was that your interest in exploring? Yeah. Cooking? So my mother had compiled, a, she had these three large plastic binders with all these recipes cut out from different places, from newspapers, magazines, all stuck together in nice sheets. But she'd only pick a few. My mother doesn't like to cook, which is one of the reasons probably I make up for it so much. Um, we had, I remember going through her stuff and finding these three books early on as a kid, and I started cooking from those. I was fascinated with the photographs in there. All, I'm, there were a lot of jello salads, but it, <laughs> it was fascinating. Oh, yeah, all the inverted molds. Yeah. And so a lot of those recipes were really, it see, I guess the scientist in me, even then, it just felt like a challenge, like an interesting experiment to see you could mix all the stuff together and see what you come up with. Um, and then the photographs always make it exciting. So, yeah, I, that was my first foray into cooking food. But you don't start talking about Jello being a Newtonian fluid. No. no okay. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that off air. But we're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about that other aspect of your blog, photography, and cool. how you kind of started training your eye, and that became such an important part of your vision. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back.
This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Kane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Kane5.com. On Tuesday, May 17th, please join Snacking Tunes for the 9th Annual Barbecue Blowout. Our inaugural chefs are Kings County Imperial with Beats and Rhythms by Domino Records. Tickets are $10 in advance at bbqblowoutmay2016.eventbrite.com. Tickets include a plate of food and a complimentary Brooklyn brewery. We're happy to announce returning partners of Nikki Digital and Heritage Radio Network. We hope to see you there. Hey, and welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here with Nick Sharma of browntable.com, an amazing food blog, photo blog. Thank you. And I kind of want to underline photo because being a visual person, this being kind of a visual sure. show, um, that's what initially drew me into it because it's, it's those moments that you capture, those in-betweens, those process shots, those... You know, it's it's not about the the plated finished dish, but it's about arriving there, mm-hmm. or you know, uh, kind of ruminating in in it afterwards. That that drew me in. But it's funny to note that your father was a photographer, is right. a photographer in, in the more industrial sense, right? And he he's not anymore. He's retired now, but he did a lot of commercial photography. Um, so he, yeah, I actually hated cameras growing up because the equipment was always at home. So I really never got the chance to learn from him. Um, and I moved to the U.S. Uh, that's couple, and that's when I learned photography. Yeah. But you were telling me you were also uh, a bit of a model back in your heyday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, stepped in for him a couple of times for a couple of his campaigns. I think I was probably the last option. Yeah. They didn't have a model, so they used me. But I find it fascinating that you want to put yourself in the image so much, um, that you want to show your hands, that you want to show, you know, your body interacting with the food. What, why was that part of, you know, your visual decision? Sure. So one of the things that I realized when I started, so I had quit my job as a, uh, working in a small pharmaceutical company in California, and I decided to go to culinary school. But it's one of those decisions where it's expensive. Should I do it? Should I not do it? But I read an article by David Lebowitz about uh, why don't you go test the waters and see how you feel. So I decided to get a job at a pastry shop, and I worked there for a couple for a little under a year. And um, that was when I realized I had no idea what goes on behind the scenes. There were people from all different races, all different economic, socioeconomic backgrounds, which was kind of cool. And... Then I thought about it. When I go to a restaurant, I really don't pay attention to that. My only interaction is maybe with the chef who comes out at some point or with the waiter uh, and the cashier. That's it. Um, And so I kind of wanted to draw attention to that through my photos because I felt I didn't want to put a face to it. But I still kind of wanted my hands to kind of tell a story. Uh, So that was, I guess, the... um, the emotional side of the photographs for me. Yeah. Kind of connecting, um, trying to get people to connect that not only could you see yourself cooking something like this, but also there are people out there that we really don't think about. 
um, and I love showing process and motion because I think that is what makes me love food the most. It's again the sciencey part of it, but it's what makes me love to cook. Um, the the final dish is always beautiful. I love everybody loves eating something that's cooked, right? But I think it's the process of getting there which is really rewarding. Yeah. When I look back at, um, at all my notes when I recipe test. Uh, there's so much that goes into it, and every moment's different, even if it's the same technique. I mean, something as simple as scrambled eggs can be explored over and over right, again. Right. And I mean, you you have your North Indian style scrambled eggs, and yeah. Um, how long did it take you to get to a point where you're satisfied with that recipe? Um, that was probably one of the easier ones because it's not an omelet; an omelet's a yeah. little trickier. Uh, but that is something that I actually grew, grew up eating. Um, for Indians, breakfast is not a very doesn't have a really large sweet component. Um, jam and toast, honey and toast. I grew up eating those, but those mostly came from the West. But um, scrambled eggs, and I think this is probably something that might have happened when the British ruled us. It somehow got infused by adding garam masala and turmeric to it. Um, it just kind of builds on the flavors of the yolks and the color. Um, it's my go-to breakfast, maybe every other weekend. I mean, visually, it's stunning because, like you said, it's reinforced with those yellows. So it seems like the freshest, so creamiest-looking eggs you've ever seen. Right. And that's what I also love about a lot of um, Indian cuisine, that the flavors are so bright, but so are the colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we love, we love being loud. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, you know, you, I assume, chose uh, the title A Brown Table to signify something. Um, huh. I can't take credit for that. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was coming up with the blog name, um, I was talking to my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and we were discussing blog names. And he said, well, I think you should call it a brown table or a brown. And it was a joke. Uh, and then I said, well, this is the only thing that's coming to mind right now. Let's just stick with this. And then it kind of just made sense eventually with the kind of photography that I do and kind of a play on words so it really worked out well yeah you know it's wonderful because there's nothing overtly indian about it other than you know the ingredients Mm -hmm. um the the place in which it's photographed kind of seems timeless right that is again that is something where i'm coming from because i want anybody whether you're white you're colored if you're from the west if you're not from the west just kind of want you to feel that you can make this and it's easy and it's tasty. Yeah, well, I'm going to incorporate the ginger tamarind Brussels sprouts into my Thanksgiving. Oh, because, good. Okay. You know, we talk about assimilation, you know, inflecting with Indian cuisine. But really what you're trying to do is um, impact American cuisine. Right. That's been one of my goals is to, even with the blog, if that if I'm going to create something, I want it to be new. But no one is really doing at least with blogs not a lot of people are doing indian fusion food and even with media that i know asian food right now with fusion mexican fusion that's hot it's kind of sad that indian food's been left behind which i don't understand why uh maybe and i know people say the time isn't right blah 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 but i don't care no, I'm just I mean, going to do it. I, I really don't, under, especially after reading your blog, I, I don't understand why it isn't more explored. I think there's a fear of the pantry because you, 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 you know, start with masala. Masala is not, you know, a single can or something. Correct. It is a lot of spices. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is very particular to mm-hmm. a certain home and a person. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think the fear is having the basis to understand where to start. 
Right. And so one of the things that I like to do because I have a little bit of an OCD problem at home, so I still need to keep things organized and limited because I know if things get out of hand, like it does sometimes with Indian cooking, there are a lot of spices. And I think, like you said, it might turn people off. So I try to keep things organized. I psychologically try to put myself in someone else's shoes and say, hey, if I were an Indian, would I be interested in cooking this? So I try and mellow. I don't dumb things down for people, but at the same time, I like to tell people, this is easy. This is how you do it. And you don't need a bunch of things just to make it so complicated. And if I can make that process easy and let people enjoy the food, then I feel I've achieved what I needed to. I mean, grilled spicy sweet corn. With oh. that, you, you don't necessarily know what kind of ethnic cuisine is uh, uh, right, imparting you know, its flavors onto that. Right. But what makes that Indian? Okay, so I grew up in Bombay, and Bombay is known for its delicious and crazy street food. And one of the things they do every summer is you have these hawkers that come out with little carts on four wheels that they drive around the city, and they have these little bu- metal buckets of hot coal. And they put fresh corn um, into the thing, sear it up till it gets really black on the outside, and it's soft and sweet inside. And before serving, what they do is they cut a slice of um, half a lemon, dip it into this mixture of coarse sea salt and chili pepper, and you rub that on top. And it's amazing. Yeah. And so that was my basis for this. Um, now, had I called it by its Indian name on the blog... I don't think it would. What is its Indian name? Uh, it, I would call it Buddha. Um, that's what you would say on the road. Um, but again, that's the name used in Bombay. It might be different in another city or not in, the st- in a different state. But again, that's kind of the way I like to make people more comfortable with the idea because I think words also sometimes play a huge psychological barrier in people's minds. And so I keep the recipe titles very simple. Just mention the ingredients and leave it at that. Yeah, um, I mean, chicken wings, I think, are the way or, or a pathway to many Americans' hearts. And I mean, just calling it honey, sage, turmeric wings doesn't, mm-hmm. again, make you think, well, this is an Indian dish. Right. It's wings. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was a dish I think I created for the Super Bowl for my husband like a couple of years ago. And I loved um, turmeric. I think it's one of those flavors and ingredients that if used well... You can do a lot of fun things with it. If you use too much, it's overwhelming, kind of like saffron. And it's, I love wings. Um, I don't like them too spicy, but I do like wings. And I like wings that are flavored with honey and herbs. So that was kind of my basis for this. I didn't grow up eating a lot of sage, uh, but that was kind of my, in my way, bringing the West to the east in this very American dish. Yeah, I mean, what American ingredients have you now incorporated into your, your cooking that you My didn't cooking. expect? Chamomile. I use chamomile quite a bit. Um, it's funny you ask that question because a lot of the ingredients are available in India. So uh, there are very few ingredients that I feel are solely American or solely Indian. They, it's, they just use less often or more often yeah so, yeah um chamomile is probably something i've been using a lot in desserts um it's very mellow yet very s- sweet in its own way it's a delicate flavor um yeah i feel a lot of the flavors and ingredients you sage is probably another one that uh but yeah on t- 
I think that's the thing. I feel there's this misconception we're coming back to that it's available here, it's available there, so you can use it. It just sounds overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, then there's the Go and Chili Rolls, which is a in-your-face, pretty overt flavor rather than these kind of mm-hmm. undertones or, or kind of balance of uh, harmony. Yeah, so this was a dish that I was really worried about naming. Because when I grew up in India and when um, I went to school, they were sold as hot dogs. I always called them hot dogs. <laughs> and it, when I moved here, it made no sense to me because a hot dog is a hot dog. And it's not ground beef simmer in vinegar and spices and then slather on a long roll of bread and that's exactly what it is but if uh, we go if we go to india tomorrow it's going to be called a hot dog there <laughs> and so i decided just to make it simple and it's something that's um a popular snack in my mother's community uh which is why i put the goan name i that's another thing i feel goan food really doesn't get a shout out a lot and so this was kind of my homage to um, my mother's side of the family. We'll see what we can do about disseminating this to Goa. Like, okay, putting this in. The, this is a big shout out to Goa. Okay, to go next ahead. mom, and all the wonderful cuisine that comes from there. Yeah, cool. I think she liked that. Yeah, and I love a brown table, and I will not quit it. I mean, it it it's just been so refreshing inspiring and thank i you. only hope to uh, keep on cooking as much as you can keep on spitting out those recipes. all right thank you thank you so much nick you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel hoping to have you back here next tuesday at three music by cookies and david engineering the heck out of this thanks a lot Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.